welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Right, well, we are in this challenging sermon series, What Are We Waiting For?, Um, that feels a bit, I don't like that picture. It's a bit like a doctor's waiting room and I feel like I'm waiting to be told that there's something terribly badly wrong. But it's not about that. Um, Thessalonians, we're in 1 Thessalonians and today I'm looking at uh, chapter 4 and just four little verses, uh, verses 9 to 12. I'll read those to you in a moment. As you know, we've got Paul. I love Paul. Paul shoots from the hip. He says it exactly how how it is. It's a bit like me. You, You know I'm going to say it straight, and so hopefully this will be okay today. But Paul is writing a letter. He's in Corinth at the moment, and he's writing to the young church in Thessalonica. And you can read that um, in Acts. Whenever Paul preached in Macedonia, it was either revivals or riots or sometimes both. So he'd had to run away to another city, and Paul couldn't go back to Thessalonica at the moment to check how his little baby church was doing uh, because he would be arrested. So he sent Timothy to check up and see how things are doing. And then Timothy would come and report back. And then Paul would write letters to these baby churches in Macedonia to commend them and to encourage them and to coach them, if you will, ways that they could develop, things that they could pay more attention to. So in this passage that we're going to um, look at today, there are three very clear points, which I'm going to, I'll explain in a moment. But first of all, we're going to talk about love. I would love you to recall a time when you felt loved or a time when you saw love in action. And I'm going to give you like 30 seconds just to have a little think and then to share that with the person that's next to you. So sometime when you felt love or a time when you saw love in action. Quick, discuss, quick. (laughs) Okay, let's draw that to a close. I hope that everybody has... uh, felt love at some point. Now, Paul is going to talk about how to love well in this section. He's talking about three things in this passage of scripture. You can look out for them. Loving well, working hard, and gaining respect. So let's look at the passage that we're going to be unpacking this morning, and then we'll have a little dig into it. So love well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 9 to 10. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. So we'll look at that a little bit first. So how do we love well? Well, Paul is giving them some coaching. He says three things. There are three things they can do to love each other well. Love as family. Love as you've been taught, and love more and more. So let's look at love love as family. Well, we see the language of family in this little passage. The word that Paul uses is Philadelphia. I thought that was a kind of cream cheese, but I looked into it, and indeed it was love for a brother or sister. And it was originally used to refer to the love between siblings in a biological family, and then the church borrowed this term to talk about God's family. We have a heavenly father in common, so we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, how many of you watched the Queen's funeral a couple of weeks ago? I think half the world watched that. But did you notice the language that was used by the Archbishop of Canterbury when he led the prayers at, at that funeral? 
When praying to God as father, he simply referred to the queen by her name and he called her Elizabeth, our sister, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. He said, Father, we entrust the soul of Elizabeth, our sister here departed to your merciful keeping. You and you and you and you and me, we and Elizabeth are part of a more impressive family than the royal family. We're part of God's family. And that is the concept that Paul is drawing on here. In the same way that every family has its own feel, its own culture, Paul is trying to encourage the culture of God's family, the culture of the church, to be love. And in the Amplified version of the Bible, it says that the people were to have unselfish concern for others and doing things for their benefit, which I think is a lovely definition of love. Secondly, Paul says, love as you've been taught. In verse 9, it says, you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And I love this. Basically, the Thessalonians were really doing well at this already. And Paul is writing to them saying, I want to talk to you about how to love each other. But actually, I don't really need to talk to you about loving each other because you already know how to do it because God has already taught you. But the thing about this is that the Thessalonians didn't just feel love for each other. They did love for each other. They didn't just talk about brotherly love, they expressed brotherly love with their actions. The believers already understood that loving each other was just what you do. And if you don't love each other, then you're not a true disciple of Jesus. They would have known the, the, um, what, what John said, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So Paul doesn't need to write to them about all the reasons why they need to love. What he wants to do is give them some deeper applications of what it looks like to love each other, to go from good to great, if you like. So he says, love as you've been taught. Now, they knew that in the Old Testament, that was required of God's people. There are verses in Leviticus that says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then it was taught by Jesus in the New Testament. In John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But it seems that what Paul has in mind is a much more personal instruction that each believer has from God by the Holy Spirit. Every believer, every one of us, has within them the Holy Spirit who, if we're sensitive to his voice, will instruct us and empower us to please God. And he'll prompt us ways to show to show love. In our family, we had this saying uh, that we used a lot, and it was, if you think of something nice to do, do it. And uh, ostensibly, we were saying, you know, if you think of something nice, some way that you can bless another person, it wasn't just about doing something nice for ourselves, it was about, if you think of something nice to do for somebody else. We were basically saying, you know what, if If the Holy Spirit is in us and he is the source of all things that are good and lovely and pleasing, then if something good and lovely and pleasing pops into your head, then it might be that it's an idea from the Holy Spirit and we should just do it to follow that prompting. So that might have looked like sending a text to somebody, just an idea, you know, it pops into your head, text somebody, buy a bunch of flowers for somebody buy a little gift for somebody. When the idea to do something nice for somebody else pops into your head, maybe it's the Holy Spirit 
And maybe we should just follow the prompting. And if it's not the Holy Spirit, it doesn't really matter because it's something nice that enters somebody else's world anyway. So you've got nothing to lose. So I think Paul is saying the Holy Spirit wants to instruct you and he wants to teach you about how to love other people, putting your love into action. And then Paul says, we urge you to love more and more. Keep going and keep growing. Don't settle for a shallow picture of what it looks like to love one another. And again, it's not a feeling, it's this action. Do you know, there are so many dimensions to loving well. And there are lots of things that we can dig into for ourselves about how we can love our brothers and sisters more and more. I came across this really helpful reminder in the week. I was listening to a parenting podcast and um, they defined love, L-O-V-E, as listen, observe, value, encourage. And that can apply to parenting and how we, how we love our children, but it can just as easily apply to how we love one another. Or you might, love, you might like the um, analogy of the love languages. It was a book um, that was written several years ago, but it gave some really helpful ways to unpack what love can look like in action. Love isn't one-dimensional. So how do we, as church family, learn to love each other well? There are so many different ways. And in a moment, I'd like to just unpack a tiny bit some of those love languages definitions of love. For how might it look like practically for us as church? Do you know, we cannot know. I don't know everybody here. I haven't met you all. I don't know about you. I've seen your faces, perhaps. But it's impossible for any one of us. Jeff and Becky don't know everybody here. That's why we have small groups. They're so important. And I think being part of a small group and learning to get to know one another is part of learning to love each other well. So even right now, I'd love to really encourage you, if you're not in a small group, get in one. Maybe you could host a small group if you don't feel able to go out in the evening. Maybe you'd even like to train to lead a small group. And Jeff would love to hear from you if that's of interest to you. But as a church community, what could love in action look like for us? Well, let's think about those, um, those five headings of the love languages. Words of affirmation. Do you know, as a church community, we can encourage one another, we can build one another up, we can prophesy to one another, we can pray for, for one another. That's all using words of affirmation to love. Acts of service. We serve each other. We join teams. We can make time available and give it to others. This church has been amazing at furnishing homes for people. There have been several times where churches just rallied together and we've provided everything that somebody's needed for a home. You might be able to do an act of service. You might be able to support somebody with form filling or benefit claims. There are so many different ways that we can use acts of service to love one another. Gifts. Gifts happens to be the way that I would choose to express love. It's my love language. But we can give gifts to others in need. Food bank, food bank bags is a wonderful way to give a gift to somebody in need. Financial gifts, giving space to host a group. Maybe you've got a spare room and you don't need it right now, but there's somebody else who does. That's giving a gift. Quality time, you could offer to babysit for somebody, choose to sit with a friend who's alone, make the decision to come early and set up or serve on a team and on church on a Sunday, being present in somebody else's grief and loss. And then physical touch, 
laying a hand on somebody and praying a blessing on them, or visiting them in hospital and praying for them. It's a wonderful way to show brotherly love. And some of those things you might go, oh, I could do that. I would love to do that. And others of you would find that more of a challenge. That's okay. We can all express love in the way that God has wired us to do it. But coming back to Philadelphia, brotherly love, let's be a family. Let's share meals together. Let's share our lives, the highs and the lows. Do you know, Andrew and I were thinking about this today, and we haven't had a chance to speak to you as a church family since Liz trusted her budget and caused chaos last week. And whatever you think about it, that there's that, there's chaos in the financial world, there's chaos, we all had our bills hiked again yesterday, and there's anxiety in people's hearts and minds. This is a moment for us to be church. This is a moment for us to show brotherly love to one another. It's a moment to get to know one another, to know who is struggling, to know who needs a little bit of extra. And thinking about it, some people have been really benefited by the budget. Some people are paying less national insurance. Some people are paying less tax. Some of, some of us have got more in our budgets, and some of us have got less in our budgets. This is a moment for us to be family with one another and to step into where we see a moment of need. And we can talk more about that in the weeks to come. But just in this moment, we want us to be family. So love in action is really practical. God speaks to us, he's taught us, and the Holy Spirit can show us ways to love one another. So now we're right in the midpoint of the passage. We've looked at how we can love well. Now let's move on to how we can work hard. Now how would you respond if someone said to you, no, just be quiet and mind your own business? In fact, say it to your neighbour. Just be quiet and mind your own business. You might feel a little bit offended. It sounds a little bit more like an insult than a line from the Bible. But actually, that phrase crops up in this next little section of Bible we're going to look at now. But I want to set the scene a little bit. This part of the letter addresses the return of Jesus and our future hope, more of which is going to be preached on in a couple of weeks, not by me, thankfully. One of the reasons that Paul has had to write this book is to help people get perspective on the return of Jesus. Because when we come to this topic, like when Jesus returns, there are really two, two extremes that we can find about about his return. We can either put not enough focus on what's going to happen when Jesus returns, or we can put too much focus on what's going to happen when Jesus returns. If we don't put enough focus on the return of Jesus, like if we don't know what the Bible teaches about resurrection, Jesus' second coming, or what heaven's going to look like, then if we don't know about the future, then we can put too much hope in the presence and on life getting changed now. And when that doesn't happen, or things get tough, we can get really discouraged. There aren't any quick fixes. We don't see constant breakthroughs. There's genuine suffering and loss and persecution and pain. But we can face life with a true and certain hope. Jesus will come again. God will make all things new. And he will wipe away every tear. The flip side is if we put too much focus on the return of Jesus, then we don't treat the here and now as God wants us to. We're too, if you like, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. 
And that was the story here in Thessalonica. The people believed that Jesus was just about to return, so they didn't think there was any point in doing a job. They were just lounging around and praying and going, well, Jesus is going to return any moment, so let's, let's not bother doing anything. Let's just sit here and wait. But, and actually, they were relying on wealthy people to pay their bills for them and uh, relying on those who were working to support them. And knowing that context helps us a little bit understand what Paul was getting at in this next passage. So in verses 11 to 12, Paul says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, there's that little phrase, and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So Paul is explaining three things to work hard at. Leading a quiet life, minding your own business, and working with your hands. So, as I just said, people had got so excited and so consumed with the fact that Jesus was going to return really, really soon that they abandoned their jobs and their God-given responsibilities to provide and to contribute to the wider community. And because they had more time on their hands, they were the visible advert of Christianity in wider culture. Like they were just present and everybody knew that they were the Christians and they weren't doing anything. They were just lolling around while other people were working really hard. So Paul says, no, I want you to lead a quiet life. Now, I don't think for a minute that Paul was telling people to be timid about the fact that they were Christians. After all, he used to just turn the world upside down everywhere he went, causing a stir. But I think what Paul was saying was loving others means living a peaceful life, free from hostility and free from conflict towards other people. We're to live quietly. We're not to draw attention to ourselves, not to cause conflicts or make problems. Let's think about this in the life of Jesus. Consider who Jesus was and who he came to do. He didn't make a lot of noise when he went around. He didn't try and draw attention to himself. He got lots of trouble and lots of attention because he was doing God's will and showing the glory of God through his teachings. But actually, he didn't ever make a display of himself intentionally. And neither should we make a display of ourselves intentionally. Paul is saying, make it your goal to live quietly. It's also possible that Paul had in mind those people who were out in the public arena, who were bringing unwanted and unnecessary attention on the church. And he's saying, as Christians, we need to be really careful the kind of activities that we engage in. Bear in mind that this is all in the context of brotherly love. In other words, what Paul is saying is the decisions that Christians make about their involvement in the wider world should be significantly influenced by brotherly love. So in many countries today, as would have been the case in Thessalonica, Christians were a persecuted minority. And if there was public attention on one member of the church, it would bring the whole church into the spotlight. And that could create hardship and difficulty. And so Paul was saying you need to be wise We need to avoid circumstances and activities that bring the church into disrepute. The Bible is clearly not saying water down your faith to placate the culture. It's much more important that we're faithful to God. But we do need to avoid behaviour that needlessly brings disrespect to the church. So what's Paul's advice? Lead a quiet life. Don't be either passive or consumed with work, but don't be disruptive and go around looking to stir up trouble. Instead, he says, mind your own business. 
And I think the people weren't really listening to him because Paul has to pick it up again in two Thessalonians. He says, "We hear that we hear that some of you are, are idle. They're not busy. They're not busy. They're busy bodies." And there is a difference between brotherly love, caring for one another, loving one another, and meddling in other people's lives. And I think sometimes in our culture we get the two a little bit confused because social media puts everything out there in the public domain, and everybody feels like they have the right and the authority to comment on everybody else's business. Paul says that we show love by paying attention to our own affairs, not by meddling in the affairs of other people, not being nosy, not desiring to know everything that's going on with everybody else. He says meddling isn't love. And I think sometimes, if we're really honest, we like to hear all the gossip. We love to know what's going on with other people. But actually, Paul is saying, be there for one another, but don't dig or pry. Mind your own business. Attend to your own affairs. And then he says, work with your hands. Now, the backdrop is that the Greeks despised manual work. They regarded it as degrading. It was seen as the work of slaves. But the gospel was in direct conflict with this view. Paul was a tent maker and he worked with his hands. Jesus was a craftsman too. And work is a gift from God. Sometimes people think that work is the result of the fall. But <laughs> before sin was in the world, you know, it, in the Garden of Eden, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So the clear conviction of the Bible is that all work is valuable and ordained by God. But you have to look a little bit closer at the words to understand what this actually means. When Paul says, work with your hands, he's not meaning that everybody has to go out right now and get a manual job. The idea of work um, being in your hands, it's like being a helping hand. That, like the, root, the root word is to commit to action and, and the root word of the hand is to help or to act. It's like um, to activate. So Paul is saying, he's not saying go and get a manual job. He's saying, join me in this. Come and be active. Use your hands to actively serve. It's a figure of speech. So he's saying commit to activity. So the biblical idea of work in this passage is not just about employment, but it's about where do you make a contribution, whether it's paid or not. So we're to be known as reliable people who work really hard, not just so that we can have enough, but so that we can provide for others in need. In Paul's eyes, doing nothing is bad. It's what we saw in our Proverbs series when we talked about work. So it's not about whether we stay at home or we're retired or we have some physical difficulties that stop us doing a, a job. God is telling us that we all have a contribution to make. We're not consumers, we're contributors. Paul is not talking either about people who are unemployed and can't get work because employment's a devastating thing. He's not speaking to those who want to work but can't find a job. He's condemning idleness. He's saying, where there's work, don't just simply say, no, I don't want to do it. Or where there's capacity to contribute and you don't when you just consume. Paul's saying, no, that's not right. We need to commit to action, to doing things together and for one another. He's saying we have a responsibility to work to support ourselves, to support our families, and to support those who are unable to support themselves. So in the context of brotherly love, which is the overarching theme, love is expressed in supporting those who are in need, but 
It's also expressed in supporting ourselves if we're able so that we won't be an unnecessary burden on other people. And then the last point, gain respect. We're on to the last bit. So we've done love well. We've done work hard. Now gain respect. Paul says, gain respect so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Back then, the outside world was watching the behaviour of the new believers to see how they'd respond to challenge and how they would live their lives. And Paul is imploring them to live and act in a way that would attract respect and would attract other people to the new faith. And it's still the same now, isn't it? People are watching. People are impacted when they see kindness in action. The number of people who I've spoken to who've said, oh, um, when I had a baby, two weeks of meals were provided by my church, and their friends have gone, what? That's kindness. That that didn't happen to me. The furnishing the houses, the love in action that we see so much in church, these things make a massive impact, and they cause the Christian community to be respected and it's like it causes people to wonder why in the outside world and here in the Thessalonian church the church was an inspiration they had been faithful in persecution in fact all the Macedonian churches were clearly having a tough time but in their tough time they allowed God to grow them so the Macedonian churches they expressed their brotherly love in an amazing way because they had this reputation for generosity which spread all the way around the region they responded in incredible ways in loving and providing for the church in Jerusalem when they were facing trials and as we thought about it we just thought you know what our world is facing trials and In the same way that the Macedonian churches responded out of their own poverty to meet the needs of other other people who were in need, I think we as church have a real moment in in this cultural moment, in the moment that we find ourselves in the world, to live out a radical faith and uh, to inspire others to act. You know, when we were praying before the service, there was just a sense of God wants us to be a hope-filled people. Quite frankly, Andrew and I have stopped watching the news because we've switched on the news at six o'clock and it is so depressing. It's about war, which we need to pray about. It's about poverty. It's about bills. It's about expenses. And it is honestly, we get to 6.30 and we just feel awful. But that's not how God wants us to be as his people. He wants us to be a people full of hope. And we as a church could be known for lots of things. We want to be known as a place of love, where we love God and where we love people really well. Where people look and they go, oh, you need help? You want to get on down to that Birmingham Vineyard place? Because those are people where you'll be loved, you'll be welcomed, you'll be received, you'll be loved, you'll be provided for. Where we love God and we love people, people who are different to us. So I feel like there's a moment, there's a challenge for us as a church. How is God inviting us to grow? How is God inviting us to respond to this cultural moment that we find ourselves? Well, I think that love and generosity is a good place to start. So let's love well, let's work hard, and let's work out what it means to be a generous family, loving one another, loving those outside of us, and loving, doing brotherly love well in our midst. So we're going we're gonna to worship again. I think that's right. Yes. Um, and as we worship, I would just love us to, to be asking God, God, what does this look like for me? 
What does love in action look like for me? What does it look like to be listening to the prompts of the Holy Spirit when he just drops a little idea into your head and heart? And what does it look like to be a hope-filled person in a moment where the world does not seem like a very hopeful place? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.